there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We've all known people who had elevated suffering to an art form or an Olympic event. I see the smiles on your faces, and though it's interesting to talk about those people and to discuss their sufferings and their martyrdom. That's spelled martyrdom, D-O-M, not D-U-M-B. <laughs> It's interesting to talk about those people, but the problem is, is that it is we who wish to change, not them. Now, we may wish for them to change, but the truth is, when we begin to understand how this universe works, how our machine works, what is possible for us and what is not possible for us, then we come to kicking and screaming, often being dragged by the hairs of our heads, we come to the realization that it is we who must change. After we realize that it is we who must change and we accept that reality, we realize it. So we don't just acquiesce intellectually to it, but we accept the reality by realizing it experientially. Then we wish to change. When we see the suffering that we create in the lives of others, when we see the suffering that we create in our own lives, then we wish to change. And that's a good place to be. This can only be done by giving up what we were and becoming something different. This is the rude thing about change. Wait, you mean I can't be me anymore? Well, no. If you're going to change, you will have to be different. Well, okay, but only the things that I want to be different, right? Well, no. I'm sorry. That's not how it works. How it works is we don't know what really makes us the way we are. We have a couple of ideas, but we don't really know. So something else outside of us, outside of our belief system, outside of our system of how we do things and what's right and what's wrong according to us, which is all acquired, something from outside of that system has to come in and basically inspect us and adjust us. So to change oneself means to become different. It means that I must sacrifice something. I must take something and sacrifice it, give it up. So there's something about me that I like, but that somehow is connected with other things that cause me suffering. For example, I had a sister, and I still do have a sister, but I had a sister who was, she, she really enjoyed sugar and candy. She was young, and she enjoyed it a lot until her teeth became, they got cavities from the bacteria that was generated by the sugar, and, and because that's what grows, that's, that's food for, sugar is food for bacteria. And so the bacteria grows on teeth and creates cavities, and then it eats the teeth. And she ended up, and these were her, her baby teeth, they called them, before she got her second teeth. And she ended up with little black nubs. She'd eaten so much candy and sugar and hadn't taken care of her teeth that she ended up with little black nubs for teeth. And when they finally fell out and she got her second teeth, and I guess she, she got it. 
she changed her eating habits somewhat. But the fact was that something she really enjoyed and really loved and brought her a great deal of comfort and joy and, and pleasant sensations in her life also caused her a tremendous amount of grief and pain and suffering. Because I promise you, she was not happy about her teeth. She was not happy about the toothaches. She was not happy about having, you know, not being able to smile, not being able to re really eat. Think about it. There are a lot of things that if, if your teeth are bad, it causes a lot of problems in your life. She had a lot of problems, and she wasn't very happy about it. But it was these, it was this that she, it was this thing that she had to give up, that became a sacrifice to her. So she actually had to sacrifice the the, the amounts of candy and sugar and things like that that she was taking, even though they caused her wonderful highs of, oh, this is just divine and I just love this and I could eat this all day and, and the stomach ache means nothing compared to how much, how many other pleasant sensations that I have concerning this. So she sacrificed that and saved some of her teeth, um, which was a good thing for her. She was happy about that. But that's what I mean by we've, we've got to sacrifice something. We've got to give something up. But what it is we have to give up is not something that's necessary to our existence. It's our ordinary mechanical suffering. To do this, we must see from what it is that we suffer. We've got to be able to see, well, what is it that is causing my suffering? And this is only possible through proper self-observation. Now, I know that I talk about proper self-observation a lot. In fact, I talk about it all the time. In fact, I don't really talk about anything else. And there's a reason for that because there isn't really anything else. Nothing else will really help us to see the truth. If you cannot see the truth about yourself, you can't see the truth about anything, nothing. Well, I can see that the sun is up in the sky. Well, no, that's not the truth, that's a fact. And that fact is only a fact from where you are standing, but it's not the truth. It's a fact from where you're standing. You change where you're standing and that fact changes. You stand on the other side of the planet. If there were a way for you to get to the other side of the planet right now, you wouldn't see the sun in the sky because the earth would block your ability to see it. So the fact would change, but the truth would not change. And so in order to see the truth about anything, we must be able to see the truth about ourselves. And where do you suppose is the last place that we ever look? at ourselves. And this is why I talk so much about proper self-observation. We define who we are by what we suffer. How life has treated us defines us. Think about it just for a moment. How life has treated us defines us. I wasn't born rich. I wasn't born like Paris Hilton. I wasn't born like the Prince of Wales. I wasn't born a Rockefeller or a Rothschild. I was born in Camden, New Jersey to a couple of Catholic parents. And we lived in a, a brownstone house you know, that basically they rented from my mother's parents. Of course, when you're a kid, you don't know all of this stuff. You don't really care about all that stuff. But I knew we could eat, and I knew that every once in a while we'd get toys for Christmas, and we had shoes, and we had clothes, and I went to school, and once a week I could ride the bus to school, and the rest of the time I walked because I had enough money. I had, we'd get enough money to ride the bus once a week. We could go both ways once a week. So it was our choice. We could go, we could ride to school one day and home one day. Or we could ride to school one day and home some other day. Or we could ride to school two days. And that was our choice. We got to choose. We got however much it was. I think it, maybe it was, it was 14 cents. 
and the bus ride was seven cents. So we got 14 cents, and we could ride seven cents to and seven cents from, or we could ride, you know, that day or any day, any time we wanted, or we could save that money and walk the whole time. So it was up to us, and it was really great. I mean, I look back at that and I go, oh, that's pretty cool. I guess my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were back then. <laughs> maybe, maybe they had a plan. Maybe they had an idea. I don't know. Could be. But we define ourselves by what we suffer, what, how, how life has treated us. It really defines us. It, it, it tells us who we are. Well, I was somebody who couldn't afford to Now, there was a doctor's kid who lived on a, another street. The, the, the ritzy street, you know, the posh street where they had trees and, and it was a, like a boulevard is actually what it was. It was called Park Boulevard. We lived on Haddon Avenue. But this was Park Boulevard. And Park Boulevard, was it had this center down the, the center, this, just this green area with trees. And, and then there were two streets. Park Boulevard was actually two streets. One went one way and the other went the other way. But it was one boulevard. And for us, that was a big deal, going to Park Boulevard, where all the big houses were and the doctors lived and like that. And there was this doctor's child who went to school with us, same school. He rode the bus every day, and he had lots of seven senses for either way. And he had a different life. And we were defined, our lives were defined by what we didn't have, and his life was defined, from our perspective, by what he did have. Are you getting an idea of my suffering it's, this was my suffering. I wasn't born a doctor's child who could ride the bus to school and back any day I wanted. This all belongs to personality. We think no one understands what we've been through, but, but let me tell you the story about what it was like to grow up in Camden, New Jersey in the early 50s when it was terrible to walk to school because you had to go through two or three different gang neighborhoods. And, you know, let me, let me regale you with the, the suffering. Let me tell you, this is, this is why I am the way I am. This is why I'm a penny pincher. This is why I go to a phone booth and I, and I check and see if there's any change in there. This is why. You know, there are people who do that. And, and that's why. I mean, for, for whatever reason, they do that because of their suffering, which has defined them, which has shaped them, which has molded them. And what I'm saying is you need to see yourself in this. This is not about me. This needs to be about you. You need to be able to look at this and say, yes, that, that's pretty silly, but yes, that's, that's exactly what I think. Now, I don't think poor me, but I do think, well, lucky me. I didn't get to ride the bus every day. I got to learn that I had choices, that I could save that money for candy and end up with my sister's teeth, which she would have gladly given me. I don't know why I had to save money for it. But I could have saved that money for whatever. I guess when you're a kid, when I, was a, when I was a kid, there really wasn't anything else. It was just you saved your money for candy. And that was it. Like, there wasn't anything else. You could save your money for special kinds of candy. You know, it could be like uh, those little hot dollars, you know, two for a penny, that were gummy, like really chewy, and they'd really stick to your teeth. And if you didn't brush your teeth, they could rot your teeth all night. And then there were, there were the, the stupid candies, the really dumb candies that no one in their right mind, meaning no one who had to save their bus money to get it, would buy. And that was the kind, they were wax, little wax soda bottles, little tiny miniature wax soda bottles. You bit the top off and you drank this silly sugar water out of it. That was it. That was it. It was over. And it's like, you, you could chew the wax. I was not into chewing the wax. No, okay, the wax lips and the wax mustaches and the wax teeth. You could chew those because they had some flavor. 
But the wax bottles, they didn't have any flavor. Anybody chewed that must have had a problem, as far as I could tell. Anybody bought that had too much money. Then there were other things like raisinets and milk duds, you know, and sugar daddies and stuff like that. But they were like nickel candy bars, you know. We're not talking about penny candy where you could get a whole lot. This was, a, you, you had to save a nickel to get this. I got to see that I have choices, and that was a good thing for me. And so I am defined by my choices. I'm defined by the choices that I get to make, and I'm, I'm defined by the choices that life forces on me. What did life force on me? My birth. I didn't get to move over to Park Boulevard and say, okay, well, you be James Parkinson now, and I'll be Robert Watson, the doctor's son. I didn't get that choice. Nobody gave me that choice. That was poor me. You know, nobody gave me the boo-hoo. So someone's defined by that. I was born into a Catholic family over on Princess Avenue, just the, the next street over, Larry Schwartz, one of our best friends, was born into a Jewish family. We celebrated Christmas. They celebrated Hanukkah. It was like that. It was like he was Jewish, we were Catholic, and we played with each other anyway until we went to Catholic school and found out that we weren't supposed to be playing with them. And then, you know, then we'd beat them up every once in a while. But we were still friends because we'd known each other for years before we were told what was wrong with them, what was wrong with the Jews. They killed Christ. So before we, before we were indoctrinated with that... We played together. Well, interestingly enough, our friendship survived the indoctrination. But it, as I said, it all belongs to personality. We think no one understands what we've been through. And this gives rise to internal considering, account making, because all of this internal consideration and account making comes from this whole idea of what we suffer, our acquired suffering. I acquired this suffering by being born into this family. If only I had been born rich. If only I had been born smart. If only I hadn't been born blind. If only I hadn't been born with six fingers on my hand. If only, then I wouldn't suffer this. These are the things that make internal considering and account making. We are not like this work. We, you and I, and those people who are listening to this are not like this work. This work is different from us. We are not like this work. Our being doesn't correspond to it. Our being is not tuned properly to it so that it is harmonious with us and we are harmonious with it. This is because of our suffering that we carry with us everywhere that we go. We carry this story with us. Jess carries his story about his father and his brothers and his mother everywhere he goes, every minute of every day. Tammy carries her story of her father and her mother and her grandfather and her grandmother and her brother and all in their family and uncle this and uncle that with her everywhere he goes. Steve carries with him the story that he is Italian and Italians don't, Italian families don't, whatever. All of these things we carry with us. This is our internal, this is our own acquired suffering. And these are the things that we base internal considering and account making upon. Now, the problem is, is that no one can reach a higher level of being unless he gives up his present forms of suffering. You all want to be different. You all want to change. But you cannot reach a higher level of being unless you are willing to give up your present forms of internal suffering. Well, sure, I'm, I, I'm willing to give them up. Sure, I am until the moment comes. 
But when the moment of truth comes, we find that we cling to our suffering as if if we gave it up, we would be giving up life itself. I was thinking while we were meditating this morning. I was thinking about a time when I was a child and I was playing on a swing at a drive-in theater. It was dusk and I was swinging really high. It was one of the big, tall swings with long chains down to the seat. And you could really, you could swing so far out that the chains actually became loose. Mm -hmm. You couldn't keep them taut and the chains would become loose. And then the game was for us at this age, when we get to the highest place that we could get to, to jump off the swing and see how far we could jump. Well, I did that. But the problem was, is I couldn't get my feet under me (laughs) and I landed on my back. And have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Well, I was thinking about what that meant, having the wind knocked out of you. Because really what happened is that my breath was somehow knocked out of my lungs. And my lungs either spasmed or something. I don't know what happens medically. But I couldn't breathe. I was like, uh, 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 trying to get breath. And air wouldn't come into my lungs for some reason, like they were stuck shut. And it was a terrifying experience. Like I remembered it. I thought, what a terrifying experience that was. So I don't really know the mechanics of that. But I do know that when we come to the moment of truth where we have to give up our suffering, it's much like that. We can't really get any air. We can't really breathe into that. We can't really move with that. We can't really let go. We freeze. It's like our lungs freeze. We lock up. And we can't let go of our suffering for one reason or another. And what happens then? Well, what happens then is we justify ourselves from our own idea of justice, which, of course, has nothing to do with real justice. Real justice is what is actually just and right in the universe. Our justice, acquired justice, is what is right according to what pleases me or displeases me. In other words, our acquired justice is based on self-emotions. And we know that things that are based on self-emotions cause us a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. We know that only self-emotions are hurt. I love myself. I like myself. I think I'm pretty cool. I think you stink. Oh, not a very nice thing to say. Sorry. Like, look at you. You're a mess. You think you're, you think you're God's gift. You're just an idiot. You're stupid. You think you're smart, but you're really stupid. You can't do this, you can't do that. And people give you the list and it's like, okay, you can stop now. Oh, I'm not done yet. Well, yeah, I think you are done. No, no, oh, trust me, there's a lot more and I've got evidence too. No, you're done. And if you say one more word, I'm going to shut your mouth for you. Those things, that kind of violence is based on self-emotions because when our self-emotions are damaged, hurt, we, because we're identified with them, we come out of the corner all claws and teeth because we're in the survival mode. Because we're identified with those self-emotions. We're identified with those pictures of ourselves. We're identified with our story. We're identified with our suffering. It's not my fault. This is, this is my story. This is how I was raised. This is my suffering. This is what I've had to suffer. This is what life has done to me. It's not my fault. And you're being unfair and unjust to try and treat me like I'm like everybody else because I'm not like everybody else. I'm unique. I'm different. And this is my story. And we cling to this. And we will cling to this until the day we die, unless we see that our being will not be able to reach a higher level unless we give up our present forms of suffering. And this has to be a realization. It can't be just words. We justify our negative states by thinking that we know what justice is. This supports internal considering and account making. I know what justice is. 
For you to do that is wrong and bad. For me to do it, Steve and I were talking about this the other day. He said, the very thing that I was doing, she did, and I made her wrong for it, but I was right. And he said, I could see this in my own mind. I could see this, that I was doing this, as insane as that was. But I still felt right, and I knew she was wrong. What do you do with that? Well, what you do with that is you look at it, and you realize the truth about it. You realize that that kind of schizophrenia is part of our sickness. That kind of split personality, that kind of multiplicity, that kind of double standard, that kind of craziness about judgment, that kind of inability to see another person's situation and to accept it and to have compassion for them. That is part of our condition. That is what must change about us. That is what we must give up. Somewhere in there, Steve has this idea that he is right because of his own suffering. I promise you, somewhere in there, he, he, when he looks, he will find that what supports his idea that he's right and she's wrong for doing the exact same thing is his own personal suffering. That's what defines the difference. And that, my friends, Romans and countrymen, is what we're here about and what we need to look at and talk about. Ospensky said, we're like monkeys. A monkey can justify himself in terms of monkeyness, of being a monkey. But we're trying to become human beings. We're trying to reach a higher level of being. You can justify yourself as you are. With all of the things, well, it's not my fault, I was born a monkey. Yes, but you're trying to become a human being. And in order to do that, you're going to have to leave your monkeyness behind. Oh, well then, I don't want to be a human being. Fine, nobody's going to make you. Enjoy your troop, enjoy the trees, enjoy the bananas, enjoy all the good things that monkeys have in life. Be a happy monkey. You ever seen any happy monkeys? They don't stay happy long. Nothing does. But you're trying to be different. You want to reach a higher level where you can be happy more often. You're trying to reach a higher level of being. You're trying to get out of the monkey troop, out of the whole primate thing, into something else. You are trying to become something higher. We're trying to become conscious so that we may live among conscious people and learn how to behave among this higher level of being. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is the first thing we always do. We go buy a conscious suit. And we take conscious classes on how conscious people move and how conscious people smile and how politely conscious people speak to each other. And then we imitate that and pretend that we are conscious. And then we join a conscious consciousness group where everybody gets together and they practice being conscious with each other. They which means they practice all of this imitating and pretending. And they read self-help, conscious self-help books about how to look conscious how to dress conscious, how to move conscious, how to speak with consciousness. You call it confidence, call it whatever you want to call it. I don't care. The bottom line is it's the same thing. What we do is we try to put it on from the outside rather than make the necessary changes from the inside, which is the hard part. You've got to give up your personal suffering. You've got to give up your mechanical suffering. What is mechanical suffering? What is your mechanical suffering? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Your mechanical suffering is your mechanical suffering, and your job is to find it. Not to have me tell it to you. Not to have me find it for you and present it to you in a white paper. Or present it to you on a platter. Or present it to you in some form. Your job is to find it. You're the one who wants to raise your level of being. Don't look to me to raise your level of being. I've got my hands full attempting to raise my level of being. Which means I've got to throw a lot of these weights out of the basket. 
in order to get any rise here, in order to raise my level of being. I've got to get a lot of these things that are holding me down, my own personal suffering, what has defined me, what I cling to, what I'm afraid to let go of. I've got to get that stuff and bail it out of this vehicle if it's going to rise at all because it's holding me down. We've got to leave monkeyness behind, not justify it. It's not enough. <laughs> I say to you, well, look, the problem is you're negative about this. And you say, well, yeah, I know that. You think I don't know that? Well, yeah, I think you do know that. I think you're identified with it. Yeah, I know I'm identified with it, but I can't stop identifying with it. Well, of course you can't stop identifying with it because you won't let go of your self-justification. We get crazy behind that because we don't want to let go. We're just like monkeys. You know how they catch monkeys. They take a coconut in the islands. They take a coconut. They drill a hole in the coconut. They empty out the contents. They take fruit and nuts and things that monkeys just love. And now the hole they drill in the coconut is just big enough for a monkey to get his hand into it. They fill it up. They don't fill it, but they put a lot of nuts and things and fruit in there that monkeys love. The monkey sticks his hand, and then they drill another little hole through the other end of the coconut. They put a string through that, tie a knot on it, tie it around a tree. The monkey comes and he sees the fruit and the nuts and the things he wants in the coconut. He puts his hand in because the hole is just big enough for, his, for him to get his hand in. And then he grabs the stuff that he wants. Once he's got it in his hand, he makes a fist and his hand will not come out of the hole because the hole's too small for his fist to come through. Does the monkey let go? No. Even when his captor is approaching, he will still not let go of the things that he thinks are good, that he wants. And he is then captured. And that is our story, and that is our monkeyness, and that is what we do. And our suffering is what we're holding on to. And it's mechanical, we can't let go of it. Well then, what are we talking about? What can we do? I'm glad you asked. This work is to increase our consciousness of ourselves, become aware of the forms of our that our mechanical suffering takes. What can we do? We can become aware of the forms that our mechanical suffering takes. That's what we can do. Yeah, but the captor's coming and my hand's stuck in the coconut and it's tied around the tree and what am I going to do? Become aware of your own forms of mechanical suffering. Become aware of what makes you clench your fist around that. Become aware. But how do I let go? Become aware. That's what this work is about. This work is to increase our consciousness of ourselves. We all, without exception, have our own form of suffering, negative emotions, grievances, sad thoughts and feelings. This is what we must sacrifice. You may feel you've never been properly understood or appreciated. Your parents, your wife, your husband, your children, your co-workers, whomever. They didn't really get what you were about. They didn't really get you. But the guy or the girl on the Internet really did get you. They could really get you. You know, you typed to them what it was about, and they really got you. And so you traveled, you saved up your, your shekels, and you traveled to this country or that country, and you met them, and you fell in love. And you left your husband or you left your wife or you left this or you left that and you went and then they didn't get you anymore. How long did it take? It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of time till our suffering takes over again and conflicts with someone else's mechanical suffering. We cling to countless forms of suffering. If only, if only, is connected with all our mechanical suffering. Learn to see it in all of its many forms. How do you do that? Look through proper self-observation. Look. Look at yourself. Listen to the voices. Listen to the things that come out of your mouth habitually. I knew a woman in, in Rancho Palos Verdes when I first moved to California, and she used to say to her husband, Oh, John, I just can't understand these children. 
And she must have said that three, four times a day. I was living in the same... I just was out here trying out for a job at, at this church. I was staying at their house, and, and I got to hear this, you know, three or four times a day. Oh, John, I just can't understand these children. And she would do that whole thing. She would put her hand to her forehead like that and kind of throw her head. She had this stance, you know, and her hand on her hip, the whole thing, and this voice, and she suffered. This was her suffering. She suffered her children. The kids would, you know, leave the peanut butter jar off and leave the knife with honey all over it, sitting here. And, oh, John, I just can't understand these children. And John was her husband. And he was a school teacher, and he would say, well, dear, you know, all right, and he'd clean it up. Well, I'm not giving up that suffering. Okay, this guy's going to clean up after me? I'm not, that's, I'm not giving up that suffering. It feels so good. Feel it. Get into it, you know. Feel that. Put your hand on your head. Put your, put your other hand on your hip. Tilt your head up like that. Take a deep breath. Oh, John, I just can't understand these children. Isn't it great? Feel that? Can you feel that? It's wonderful, isn't it? Don't you love it? That's what I'm talking about, people. You have that. You have forms of that. You have forms of that, and that's what you need to see. We've never been properly understood. We've never been properly appreciated. There's not a woman who has a child who is properly appreciated. Not one. There's not a husband who has a wife who is properly appreciated. Not one. I've never met one. Ever. I've never been one. <laughs> not true. I have been one. Because there are times when I actually see my own suffering and I say, that's ridiculous. And I let it go. And I'm fine. Not for long, because the mechanical suffering is mechanical. It comes back around when the wheel turns back around. And then you've got to let go of it again. This dark side where our suffering resides stands in the path of all individual development. This dark side of us where our suffering lives, moves, and has it being is what's standing in the path of our development. We want to go up, but it holds us down. Maurice Nicole said, we're all frauds, but we don't see through our fraudulence. All our mechanical suffering is fraudulent only. We won't admit it. Your suffering, my suffering, is fraudulent suffering. It's not real. It's mechanical. It's not necessary. Oh, John, I just don't understand why he's saying that. Because it's true. That's why I'm saying it. And I'm not the only one saying it. This doesn't come from me. This isn't James Parkinson. This is esoteric teaching for as far back as you can find esoteric teaching. I can find it in so many places. I can find it in the Upanishads. I can find it in the, the Vedas. I can find it in the Bhagavad Gita. I can find it in the Bible. I can find it in Buddhist texts. I can find it in Chinese texts. I can find it anywhere. Because the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth in any language, in any time. It may take different shapes, different forms, different colors, but it's all the same thing. It doesn't matter what color filter you're holding up to the window. The light that's shining through is still sunlight. You may have filtered out some part of the spectrum, but it's still the same sun. Real suffering always opens us to higher levels. Fraudulent suffering closes us. Fraudulent suffering contracts us. Real suffering expands us. When you really suffer, you don't close up. You open up. You don't shut other people out. You begin to understand them. Through your real suffering, real suffering, you understand other people. You understand their real suffering. And you have compassion and external consideration. And this is what this work is about. Self-invented suffering comes between us and higher centers. None of that is real. What's real to me? Yes. 
It's really mechanical, but it's unnecessary. It's self-invented. It comes between us and higher centers. Have you watched cars on the freeway, people on the street, and wondered at so many lives, so many problems, so many grievances, so much suffering? I have. How many of them are more concerned with knowing more, being more, understanding more, forgiving more, and loving more? Of all of those people that you see, look out there at the hills and all the houses out there. Look at that. In each one of those houses is a whole set of dramas and suffering that is mind-boggling. There are people there who are burying their dead. There are people there who have relatives who lost homes in the fires. There are people there who have to go down to bail somebody out of jail today. There are people out there who have other people who are in the intensive care unit of hospitals. There are millions of lives out there. There is so much suffering out there that it boggles the mind. Go to a hospital, walk one of the floors, one of the floors, go to a waiting room, sit down. I have done this and I do this. Sit down and talk to some random waiter and you will have opened up before you a life and a story of suffering that will make you cry. If you're human, if you're there, if you're open to the suffering of others, and it'll, it'll be a tragedy. And 99% of it will be useless, unnecessary mechanical suffering. And if you try and take it away from them, do it from another waiting room because they will not let it go without a vicious fight. And that's us, people. We will not let it go without a vicious fight. Forgiving debts means canceling complaints against others. <gasps> what? I can't even complain about them? Oh, no, you can. But forgiving debts means canceling complaints about others. Well, isn't there another way? Yes, there is another way. It's the way of all flesh. But you said it's the way of monkeyness. But you said you wanted to evolve. I said this to somebody, but you said you wanted to develop. I had this thing where he was doing this thing, and I said, well, you're doing this. And he just didn't want to look at it. He just did not want to deal with it. And I said, well, you, you told me you wanted to develop. He said, well, I don't want to develop. I just said that. I said, okay, not my problem. You don't want to develop? Fine. Then don't. Our earth problems are monkey trinkets at a higher level of being. See, the stuff that we worry about, ooh, it's like I've said before, what you need is a bigger problem. See, those people whose their houses burned down in the recent fires, they had a lot of little problems. But the day that fire came and burned everything that they had, and they had to go find a place to stay in a town where there wasn't a room anywhere because so many millions of people had been evacuated, they had a bigger problem. And all those little problems meant nothing. All their mechanical suffering was, or a great deal of it, was wiped away in an instant because they had one big problem. Those little problems are monkey trinkets at higher levels of being. And that higher level of being was, oh, I need a place to sleep tonight. Oh, I have to get some food and all my money and all my credit cards and everything burned up in that fire. And I don't have anything because nobody will give me food unless I give them money. And if I go to somebody and say, but all my money burned up in the fire. It's like you say, yeah, that's what everybody says. Our work is to cancel our monkey problems, cancel our monkey suffering, cancel our monkey internal accounting and negative states and grievances and dislike and hate toward others. Ospensky said, this work is about going somewhere and it lays down definite instructions as to how you can go there. I like that. It's a map. The most difficult point to get across is this. The people to whom you object are you, and you are them. This is the one thing that you don't want to get. It doesn't matter how many times I tell you this. If I tell you this enough, 
you will get out of my presence long before you will look at yourself and change it. So I've got to be careful about how often I say this and how I say this because it's none of my business, really. The bottom line is the fact that the people to whom you object are you and you are them, that's your business. That's not my business. My business is the people to whom I object are me and I am them. That's my business. Give up your suffering. Stop serving it and serve the work instead. Obey what the work teaches you. What does the work teach you? Practice on yourself. When you want to be moody, when you want to be negative, when you want to object, observe your state and begin to separate from it. Then you're serving the work and you're giving up some suffering because we don't want to stop it and observe it. We want to go with it. We want to justify it. We want to be right about it. We want to enjoy it. And I say stop serving that. Serve the work instead. Close and sincere observation of your being is necessary to work on your typical forms of suffering because they're so typical. They're so you that they're as plain as the nose on your face. You know, the one you never see when you look in the mirror. Direct the light of self-observation to those places. Try not to react. Try not to identify. Try not to put your feeling of I into those things that you observe. That's what this work says to do. It's very hard to do that. The people who know that are the people who have tried to do that. There are a lot of people who have tried to do that and then gave up in despair. That's because they identified with what they saw. That's all. As they identified with what they saw, they thought that they had to do it, that they had somehow had to change it, and the task became overwhelming, and they buried themselves. But the light will cure you. Let the light in. Trust this work. It is taking you someplace. It's a very specific place, and there is a very specific way to get there. And you can do this, but you must do it. You can't just listen. You must listen and do. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.